Hello, hello. Welcome back to Gimme the Creeps. We are on our 62nd episode. 63rd? 63rd. 64 Zulane. holy shit abby what you just unlocked a fucking memory (laughs) that's such a good show where even is that show anymore not available now i have to fucking go look that shit up why would you do this to me the crazy part is i only remember the intro song i don't remember what the actual show is about what the fuck? Why does this she not just, look familiar at all? <laughs> she just like goes in the middle of the night, like wakes up and goes to the zoo, right? Is that what that's about? I think so. Why the fuck does this animals. look completely different than I remember? I know, right? I'm scared to look. I'm so Mandela effect. I'm not <laughs> picturing that at all. What is is she a little blonde girl? Yeah. With a, with a nightgown, right? Uh, she just looks like a regular ass fucking... Oh, yeah. It's a night, It's dress. not a gown. It's a fucking... Hmm. Bitch PJs. Yeah. What in the fuck? I am so shook right now. In today's episode, we will be discussing... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> false memories. That is scary. I don't like the idea of false memories. Yeah, that dude. I fucking do that to myself every time I am under <laughs> I'm the influence. Like, was that a dream? Seriously, or a memory? <laughs> Jeremy oh will God. show me something, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, I already saw that." And I like picture the next thing that's gonna happen, and then it happens, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, did I already know that? Is that or did I just vu? see this right now?" Literally, I have deja vu, but then it changes. Like it's it's like the second before something that's actually the deja vu moment is going to happen and i'm like oh my god you're about to ask me this but he's like what and of course he doesn't ask me that so it's like i, changed, <laughs> I like changed fate or something i don't know it's weird i don't like that <laughs> yeah they're fucking scary okay all right so today we're gonna talk about narco culture So narco culture in Mexico is a subculture that has grown as a result of the strong presence of the various drug cartels throughout Mexico. In the same way that other subcultures around the world that are related to crime and drug use, for example, the Scottish Neds. Socialist party. A socialist party. I'm seeing the Scottish Scottish Socialist Party. I got Ned is a derogatory term applied to Scotland to hooligans, louts, and or petty crimes or petty yeah. criminals. Yes, I guess they are just called Neds. Cool. Okay. Oh, you know what it stands for? It's a fucking backronym. What the fuck? Oh, it's for- Ooh, non-educated delinquent. <laughs> Damn. Okay, so <laughs> the okay, yeah. So, for example, the Scottish Neds and the European hooligans, or the American street gangsters, cholos, and outlaw bikers. Damn. Mexican narco culture has developed its own form of dress, music, literature, film, religious beliefs, and practices, and language. In parentheses, slang. Mm. that has helped it become a part of the mainstream 
fashion in some areas of the country, mainly among lower class, uneducated youth. <laughs> nice. This is from Wikipedia. So I know nobody get offended. Come yeah. on. <laughs> Narco culture is dynamic in that they there are various regional differences within Mexico and among those who participate in it. The origins of narcoculture, like drug trafficking, have humble beginnings in Mexico. Narcoculture emerged from the practice of drug trafficking in the highlands of Sinaloa. It is in the Sierra or countryside where an identity of drug trafficking was created and then consolidated once it crossed into the urban sphere. Narcoculture has been defined as a code of conduct and lifestyle for those that participate in the narco world. Many scholars like uh, Luis Astorga and George Alan Sanchez Godoy explain that there is no evidence that would suggest that cannabis or opium. Oh, okay. So this is the, this is like the beginning of how drugs even came to Mexico. So here we go. Many scholars like Luis Astorga and George Allen Sanchez Godoy explain that there is no evidence that would suggest that cannabis or opium were consumed in Mexico prior to the arrival of the Spanish and the Chinese. Mm -hmm. Although indigenous communities in Mexico consumed hallucinogenic mushrooms and peyote in their religious practices, it was not until the arrival of the Spanish the cannabis was introduced to Mexico. Drug trafficking in Mexico has been considered by Luis Astorga to have originated with the Chinese immigration to Sinaloa. It is said that the Chinese immigration or immigrants brought poppy seeds with them when they arrived in Mexico to work in the railroads and mines. Sanchez Godoy explains that after cannabis was brought to Mexico, it was used for medical purposes and poppy plants were used for decoration and served as inspiration for several Mexican corridos or ballads or what they called. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. effectively banned all psychoactive drugs when the federal government passed in 1914 the Harrison Act, prohibiting all non-medicinal use of opium, morphine, and cocaine. Uh, in 1919, the National Prohibition Act made alcoholic beverages illegal and the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 outlawed marijuana. Wow. Damn. Mexico's... Do what? 1937. Interesting. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. um, Mexico's proximity to the U.S. made it an easy source and Mexican... Or, and American bootleggers and traffickers rushed to obtain illicit narcotics and alcohol exports of Mexican opium, heroin and marijuana for U S consumption steadily increased as a result of prohibition. I can just fucking imagine. Mm -hmm. Jeez. I know. Right. The black market grew quickly with millions of Americans requiring a huge supply of alcohol, heroin, marijuana, and cocaine. The initial shortage caused a boost in drug prices and these new super profits attracted black market suppliers to fill the vacuum. During the early 1920s, the Chinese in Sinaloa were victims of segregation, hate crimes, and forceful deportation. In 1927, to cooperate with its northern neighbor, 
Mexican president Plutarco Elias Calles by federal mandate ordered the expulsion of Chinese poppy producers. Jeez. Once the Chinese were expelled from Sinaloa, the production of narcotics was then controlled by the rural Mexican farmers. The narcotics produced in Mexico was still small, but the demand for morphine in the United States created by the disruption in its morphine supply from Europe during the World Wars led to the temporary legalization of narcotics in Mexico. Mm. So Sanchez Godoy and Luis um, Astorga state that narcotics were temporarily legalized in Sinaloa in order to supply the United States demand during the, war, the World War, the period when the production of narcotics was temporarily legalized shaped and created the drug trafficking identity in the region. This is when narcoculture first began to appear. It is also the period when Mexico entered the large-scale production of narcotics. So, the 1950s in Mexico were marked by the term narcotráfico, which is narco-traffic, that began to appear in the media. During the 1940s through 1970s, drug trafficking in Mexico was considered to be a small family business with a relatively simple organization and division of labor. It is not until after the 1970s, with the growth of demand from the United States and alliances with Colombian drug traffickers, that cartels in Mexico were formed to control the production and distribution of narcotics. Mexico then became a producer and distributor. In previous decades, Mexico served as the route of entrance for the cocaine arriving to the United States from Colombia, with Mexico supplying the United States with heroin and morphine during World War II, it became a producer. The alliance between Mexican cartels and Colombian cartels meant that Mexico was now a distributor and producer. Okay, that was already said. <laughs> As drug trafficking expanded in Mexico, so did narcoculture. Okay, so it expanded into the urban sector sector of society and began the process of legitimization and moved away from a subculture into a part of the dominant culture. The term narcoculture was first coined in the 1970s. Narcoculture defined the way of life and ideas of drug traffickers. Its existence depends on the acceptance of drug traffickers and drug trafficking becoming a transnational network of production, transportation, and commercialization of illegal drugs. Drug trafficking has political, economic, and cultural implications. Drug traffickers interact with the rest of society, and as this daily interaction progresses, some of the drug traffickers' mannerisms are adopted by society, and this leads to cultural change and legit legitimization. Okay, so some aspects are adopted by those outside of drug trafficking, and over time, people forget that what they have adopted is narcoculture. And, okay, yeah, so then it, like, progressed once it hit, like, popular classes in the urban cities. So narcoculture in Sinaloa shares many characteristics with Mediterranean culture and mafias in that it is said that the Sinaloa Narcoculture is based on honor, bravery, family loyalty, protection, vengeance, generosity, hospitality, nobility, and prestige. 
much like the Mediterranean mafias. Drug traffickers use claves, which are codes, to maintain a level of secrecy. Some of these codes, however, have been revealed in narco corridos, which, for those of you that don't know, are Mexican ballads about drug trafficking Mm -hmm. and are then used by people who listen to this music, even if they are not drug traffickers. This is when narco culture becomes a part of the mainstream discourse. Prior to the 1970s, narco culture and drug trafficking in Sinaloa were almost exclusively rural. The stigma that was placed on narcotics early on meant that people in the cities were reluctant to accept it as a legitimate activity. In the countryside of Sinaloa, people were starving and drug trafficking seemed like the only viable solution. The rural population saw themselves a part of the marginalized society with no real access to education or other methods of social upward mobility. They felt ignored by the government and by society. Drug trafficking then became a source of income and an outlet to rebel against the government that had forgotten them in the countryside. Mira? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So narcoculture is a type of crime-related subculture that emerges in places where traffickers or other mafias have great power and, in consequence, great cultural influence, which we've already talked about. So because of that influence, oh, because of that influence, their lives and exploits are often glamorized by the mass media and they are looked up to as role models by some young people. Hmm. Subcultures similar to Mexican narco culture emerged in the United States during Prohibition and in Colombia and Italy in the 1990s. These subcultures were characterized by extravagance, ostentation, rural roots, honor, prestige, consumerism, power, religious religiosity and violence the admiration that yeah that the young have for narcos is similar to the way that other kids look up to rock stars or sports legends Mm -hmm. in some cases the admiration that they feel for the drug traffickers who they see as heroes often leads them to get involved in drug trafficking Mm But in most cases, they merely consume the narco culture and imagine that they are part of the narco world or becoming narco posers. <laughs> LOL, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so narco culture has created a fantasy where some people believe that drug trafficking is the only way to escape poverty. Mm. This fantasy is supported primarily through music and visual media, including television and film. Some believe that narco culture originated... Okay, yes, in the highlands of Sinaloa, where many of the famous strugglers were born. And although it's constantly changing, it continues to foster and strengthen its rural roots over time. It's glorified the individual and his achievements, wealth, and masculinity. Narcos live luxurious lifestyles and display their wealth by wearing expensive clothing. There are regional differences in the styles of dress for example the northern cities closest to the border are influenced by mexican styles of dress and brands the clothing is gender conscious where men and women wear distinct fashion items pertaining to their gender and in most mexican cities there are men wearing uh belts cowboy boots made of exotic animal skin silk shirts and cowboy hats or baseball caps. Thus, some narcos have cast aside the cowboy 
or northern style to wear expensive designer clothes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Certain clothing items, such as Ralph Lauren polo shirts or Ed Hardy style clothing, were worn by several infamous drug traffickers at the moment of their capture, becoming highly fashionable items among the masses, prompting the creation of imitation styles sold on the black market. <laughs> LOL, yep. We were just, me and Jeremy were just talking about this the other day because they have fucking Ralph Lauren polo shirts at Walmart now. And he was like, when the fuck did that happen? And I was like, what are you talking about? And mm-hmm. I like I didn't realize that it used to be like a fucking expensive ass brand. And now mm-hmm. but um was, it's just fucking funny. <laughs> um, All the men are like, well, what what the hell do you want us to wear? <laughs> it's just really weird that mm. I can picture it and forget about it when they tuck it in. <laughs> If it's a t-shirt that's, like, not a button-up and mm-hmm. it's, like, and they tuck it in, stop. It's already two sizes too small. Oh, it, dude, oh, my God. I can picture the dudes from my fucking high school. They would tuck in Me their too. fucking Hollister shirts. And they're all, like, top-heavy men with, like, small yes. legs. I'm like, dude. <laughs> like their belts. I just, I know that you want to look like the other fucking cool guys, but, ooh. And now wear your size. And just get a size just a smidge bigger because you look yeah. like a fucking chorizo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am not one to talk, but. But you wear clothes that fit you. Not now. Like, I'm pretty sure back then I barely. On into this. <laughs> but you know what? That's why yeah. I was fucking emo and I wore my fucking hoodie everywhere. So there you go. So styles vary in many border towns, but it's very common to see drug traffickers wearing luxury brand labels such as Burberry or Gucci hats, shirts, belts, and shoes. Um, oh my God. Hold on. I have to fucking send you this. <laughs> oh man. We're going to get killed for making fun of what they wear. No. <laughs> if that's what... If there's fucking somebody in a cartel fucking listening to this right now, like... We are nobodies. Calm down. We're trying to help you. <laughs> there should be like a, what did Joan Rivers, oh, rest in peace, what she used to, uh, fa- that fashion show that she used to roast everybody on. Oh, I fucking know what you're talking about. I don't remember what it's called, though. Can I have one of those for cartel culture only? I'm probably not going to fucking find that meme. But there was a meme of Justin Timberlake and Jessica Biel wearing um, a Gucci outfit. Like, it looked very nice and formal. It looked really, really good. Mm-hmm. And it said what rich people wear or, like, what um, what Gucci clothes rich people buy. And then it's <laughs> a picture next to it. And it's like, what... <laughs> poor people buy at the swap meet that's gucci clothes and it's like fucking bright ass pink tracksuit mm-hmm. with like the gucci fucking logo all over it in like gold like, yes shoes. it's accurate and the white shoes yes dude god terrible <laughs> terrible terrible Okay, well, I guess I'm not going to find it, but yeah, dude, that's... I just found one meme that was like, they buy their Gucci from Gucci's, not the swap meet. There it is. Maybe that's it. Okay. Um, 
Okay, here we go. Okay, so women associated with drug cartels often dress very ostentatiously and wear much jewelry, and it is common to see them wear such brands as BB, Guess, Burberry, Gucci, and Coach. It is BB, right? I think, or Bib. Uh, yeah, I think so, because I don't know what else. I can I picture know. it, but I don't know how to say it. I've never said it before. I want to say it. Swag. No, same. So besides wearing expensive brands, the drug lords run their own bars, which are visited mostly by men. Mm-hmm. And the narco parties are get-togethers and parties where narcos drink and socialize. Duh. Mm-hmm. Although many businesses have closed down because of the tremendous amount of violence sweeping the nation, the narco bars, restaurants, and nightclubs have remained open and have thrived. Wow. Leave it to them to save the economy. Right. Uh, the projection of a glamorous image of the drug cartel by the mass media in Mexico has served to thwart the federal government's efforts of legitimizing the war against drugs and organized crime. In Sinaloa, narcoculture enjoys a place of privilege. In other parts of Mexico, the acceptance of narcoculture has been a slow process. Narco corridos, however, have helped narcoculture become more acceptable in places where interactions with drug traffickers do not take place on a daily basis. The Mexican Corrido, a song narrating stories real or imagined about historical characters, became popular during the Mexican Revolution of 1910. The Corrido became popular because it narrated news and events to a largely illiterate population. The Corrido also created popular heroes and celebrated their lives and adventures. Pancho Villa, a revolutionary leader, was one of the figures celebrated through this Corridos. These Corridos. Hmm. Although these Corridos mention kidnappings, assassination, executions, battles, and disasters, they differ from the current narco Corridos in that the original Corridos attempted to tell a story and give a moral message like the fall and redemption, the sin and punishment, or life and death of a person. Uh, The first narco corridos began to appear in the 1970s. Most scholars agree that the Tigres del Norte were pioneers of this genre, first appearing in the southern United States, then becoming popular in Sinaloa, Sonora, Tijuana, and Michoacán. Narco corridos glorify and romanticize narco trafficking, and in a more recent trend of hyperviolent lyrics called Movimiento Alterado, Spanish for the Cocaine Alertness Movement. What the fuck? <laughs> they started to express the pride narcos have in murdering, torturing, and dismembering their rivals. The traditional corridos spoke about the benevolent bandit who committed crimes for a good cause in a Robin Hood style. El Chapo, El Mayo, and Rafael Caro Quintero, among others, have been elevated to popular heroes in a similar way as the traditional corrido elevated the so-called benevolent bandits. Hmm. I can't fucking do it. General? No. It's a name. Ooh. Oh, God damn it. Now I have to fucking find out. I'm going to do it 
Heraclio, is that what she said? Heraclio. Heraclio. Okay, yeah. that's hard. Never heard that one. I haven't either. Heraclio Bernal and Jesus Malverde during the Mexican Revolution. The corridos about these characters praise the bravery of these bandits and identified them as defenders of the poor against an unjust government. In addition to narrating the stories of well-known drug lords, narco corridos demonstrate the evolution of drug trafficking in Mexico. They display a yearning for the countryside while expressing a desire for the modern modernity that the city has to offer. The simplicity of the countryside is reflected through images of horses, the ranch, agriculture, agriculture poverty and the sombrero what the fuck why would that be part of it mm, i don't know the sombrero hmm. the modernity modernity is that the fucking word why does it sound weird i think oh. the modernity of the city and material desires are expressed through images of mansions luxury cars cell phones and designer clothing Despite the poverty that exists in rural areas, the narco corridos idealize it as a place where there is no judgment or obstacles that would impede drug trafficking. Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the music scene, similar to the early underground gangster rap scene of the mid to late 90s, has emerged in northeastern Mexico, where the musical phenomenon of hip-hop is being co-opted by this influence of organized crime and the drug war in the region. With lyrics similar to those of a narco corrido has appeared the Mexican narco rap. <laughs> However, unlike the corridos, which relate to rural regions of the Mexican Pacific and which are generally linked to the Sinaloa cartel, the narco rap emerged in the urban area of Tamaulipas in the border with Texas, a turf currently under armed dispute between the Zetas and the Gulf Cartel. Derived from the constant presence of Halcones, which are the cartel, spy, cartel spies and cartel convoys circulating the streets of the region, young people have been involved in the local narco culture and narco rap express the reality of life on the streets of those cities under the drug cartel rule. There are several notable cases among them in a highly popular song called The Songs of Metro 3 on YouTube that praises the life and exploits of drug lord Samuel Flores Borrego alias Metro 3 for his fear ferocity and loyalty some of the main exponents of the genre are cartel de santa cano y blunt dement and los or in big los the fuck out of here <laughs> this trend of narco mexican related hip-hop has also an american counterpart artists such as rapper uncle murder <laughs> uncle murder <laughs> Skrillex, I don't even <laughs> what Gucci Mane, Two Chains, and The Game have made songs dedicated to drug traffickers, uh, such as El Chapo. I actually mm. love that fucking song. 
Ed, no, I know which song you're talking about. You do? I think so, yeah. I fucking it's... love that song. Mm. Here, I'm going to play like five seconds of it. The Game and Skrillex. And that's literally the only reason why they concluded him on this shit. Oh my god. Can you hear it? I'm playing oh, it. Okay, I was like, wait a minute. What's happening? Oh. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I do remember this song. El Chapo. LOL. I'm gonna like it just for. I shouldn't even be fucking saying anything about how he fucking pronounced that shit because I literally have been struggling these last four episodes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fucking. I'm coming off as uh, with the nopal en el frente right now. (laughs) I've never heard that expression, but. It means you are basically like they're fucking calling you a coconut. You're fucking... Like you're presenting Mexican, but when you try to be Mexican, you can't or something. You're Mexican, but you act white. It's not my fault. Yeah, it's not my fucking fault. It's where I've been living. Word, dude. I used to fucking... (laughs) I didn't speak a shit ton more Spanish when I lived in Del Rio, but I had a fucking accent. And now... That I've moved to San Angelo, I've had to fucking wide it up a lot. Yeah, now you just have a Texas one. And that also is because of Jeremy, too. God damn it. Um, why did I just think of Cece when I thought of a, a woman with a Texas accent? <laughs> Are you talking about Jessica's mom? Yeah, because no, that's, that's what I picture. Uh, yeah, anyways. That's it. There it is. She has a really <laughs> bad Texas accent. And she throws in some of that slang in, in her language sometimes. It's nice. <laughs> okay, so next is Narco Juniors. I honestly don't know if this is what they're called. <laughs> but on Wikipedia, that's what they call them. Oh, so Lord. It's a new form of narco culture expression. Narco Juniors are the children of the older drug traffickers. Or the children of rich entrepreneurs that get involved in the drug trade for fun. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. That have come to reconstitute the meaning of narco culture and drug trafficking. Unlike their fathers or grandfathers, the narco juniors have have for the most part been raised in urban wealth. The -hmm. older narco traffickers were raised in rural poverty, placed a high value on family, and felt connected to their people and culture. They felt a responsibility to give back to their community and the narco juniors share a cynical pride in being drug traffickers. Right. I was going to ask, I feel like because there were videos going around of their kids and stuff, just flexing on their wealth Mm -hmm. pretty much just being like, look at my money, look Mm -hmm. at my mansion, but they don't know like what the real down and dirty stuff their parents and uncles had to do to live like that. Like, damn. Yeah. And they place more value on spending money, parties, and luxury. Mm -hmm. Like you said. Um, They have pet tigers and shit in their ostrich boots. Yeah, dude. Oh, God. The marginalized people who were helped by the older traffickers have now become the victims of the Narco Jr.'s aggression. Damn. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's it for those little assholes. But... (laughs) Okay, next we're coming up 
on narco superstition and religion. Santa Muerte. Yes. So not just Santa Muerte, though. But, um, okay, it's a major aspect. And it's a form uh, of the narco superstition is a form of superstition depicted through drug traffickers devotion to St. Jude Thaddeus. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, Patron of lost causes in desperate situations and Jesus Malverde. And that's who I was talking about earlier. He was said to be a bandit that stole from the rich to give to the poor. It's basically fucking Robin Hood. Just Robin Hood. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, he lived his life running from the authorities, and his image was appropriated as the patron saint of drug traffickers, the poor, and the marginalized. Mm-hmm. An altar with his name was erected in the place where it is said that he was hanged by the government. Another aspect of narco religion is the involvement of drug drug traffickers with their local churches. Mm -hmm. This occurs primarily through narco limosnas, which is narco donations that drug traffickers give to the church. Mm. Drug traffickers have also used the church to launder money. Um, Nora Perez Rayon Elizundia. Uh, I guess that's a long. Uh, okay, she gives an example of a bishop in Aguascalientes that admitted to taking donations from a drug trafficker because he said that the money could be purified when used for good causes. <laughs> in other parts of Mexico, some drug traffickers and their hitmen pray. For protection to La Santa Muerte, who we have talked about in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, yes. And in some cases, they practice Santeria or devil worshiping, which I don't know. So these type of activities are not mainstream narco beh- behaviors, but do occur in some areas, the last two. I do want to give some examples of Santa Muerte worship going too far because people are fucked up and it is sad, but it's also fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this is like super rare. So please don't associate this with every person that prays to Santa Muerte. Because that was why I did that episode to take some stigma off of that shit. And now I'm fucking yeah. it up with this. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> yeah, people can use religion, however, so it's never... One way or another. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if this one's true because I could only find literally just what I'm about to say. I couldn't find anything else on it. So I don't, but I don't know. So in Tepito, Mexico in 2004, authorities arrested a powerful criminal figure who killed virgins and babies once a year and offered them as sacrifices to Santa Muerte to gain her favor and magical protection. Hmm. Another one is during 2008 in Nuevo Laredo, uh, Gulf Cartel enforcers captured Sinaloa Cartel members, took them took them to public Santa Muerte shrines and executed them. Analysis by U.S. law enforcement officers suggested that the perpetrators killed them as offerings to Santa Muerte. Wow. In Culiacán, in January 2010, a suspect placed a decapitated head by the tomb of deceased cartel leader Arturo Beltran Leyva, 
Earlier, after Beltran Leva was killed in his apartment, authorities found items related to the cult of Santa Muerte, Santa Muerte, suggesting that one of his former fellow gang members may have presented the head as an offering. Mm. Um, in April 2010, in uh, Camargo, perpetrators tortured and decapitated individuals carved the letter Z into their chests and placed the victims' heads on the roof of a desecrated, graffiti-covered roadside chapel. Damn. Based on the graffiti messages, the victims belonged to the Gulf Cartel. The perpetrators comprised members of the Los Setas Cartel, which has embraced Santa Muerte as its patron saint. Many of the group's members have tattoos of her image on their upper arm or chest. In Cancun in June 2010, investigators found the bodies of six tortured victims, three with their hearts cut out and with the letter Z carved into their abdomens in a cave outside of the resort city. Sure. Presumably, the killers belong to Los Cetas and the victims belong to a competing group. In July 2011, in Ciudad Juarez, Mexican police discovered a skeleton dressed as a bride at a Santa Muerte altar in a house used to hold kidnapped victims. The perpetrators left two skulls and numerous cigarette packs as offerings. The circumstances behind the origins of the skeleton and skulls, if they were prior cult victims, remains unknown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So moving on, uh, narco propaganda includes... Narco mantas, which are banners that appear in public places such as highway overpasses and bridges. And this is a way for narcos to communicate directly to the populace. These banners are also used to threaten leaders or other members of rival cartels. Variations of these banners include the narco poster, a message left next to a dead body, and the narco pinta, which is graffiti sprayed or hand painted on a whitewashed brick or adobe wall next to a commercial building or house. Hmm. Uh, modern literature, not only novels or poetry, but also newspapers, magazines, and internet publishings are means that tend to narrate real stories or at least what is believed to be real about certain people involved in the narco movement. Sometimes they exaggerate the legacy of these people and of the crimes they have committed in order to intimidate their enemies or the population in general. The Narco Western is a new literary genre that was started by Helerio Peñas. That's funny. That's my mom's last name. Chinola Kids. What the fuck? It's called Chinola Kids. Or Chinola <laughs> Kid. Published in October 2012. And in a recent interview, Helerio. Helario? Hilario. Is it? Hilario. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, that's my grandpa's name and my uncle's name. Shut your mouth. Larry for short. Oh, that's cute. Laddie. That is funny. Laddie. My cousin's name is Larry. Okay. <laughs> Ilario states that the that the narco western is the modern version of a western. What the fuck? Okay. Instead of a horse, his character drives a truck, and instead of fighting Apaches, his character must defeat criminals and the federal police in the state of Sinaloa. Okay. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, 
And Narco Cinema in Mexico started as a combination of telenovelas, which are soap operas, and Mexican cinema during the 1960s, where the golden age of cinema collapsed due to the interest of the population in television. During the 1970s, Narco Cinema consisted of movies released mostly for home entertainment or video home creating a B-film market that focused on very controversial topics that with use of violence would try to create a national reality or identity. These films were mostly made with a low budget, usually under um, 140,000 Mexican pesos, which is $10,000 U.S. dollars. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Telling stories about police, drug dealers, and prostitutes. Sex workers. That's what fucking Wikipedia said. Mm -hmm. These films are rarely discussed in mainstream media because of their low budgets and connection with pop culture and lowbrow entertainment. Mexican cinema today controls the Mexican film market being influential along the border between the United States and Mexico. The films deal with the identity of the narco consisting of a struggle of an anti-hero being immersed in a border culture. Articulating narratives of life, death, love, loss, hope, greed, desire, humor, and violence alongside addiction, repetition, and compulsion. Narco cinema develops anti-norms and expresses feelings discouraged in culturally accepted institutions. In this genre, violence is at its most extreme, weapons and thug-like behavior taking center stage. The use of stereotyped characters and predictable plots alienates those looking for subtext, complex storylines, and sophisticated writing. But for the poor rural people, these films are in demand because they tell the story of their lives and the lives around them. It's kind of yeah. Narco violence is also used by mainstream films, taking inspiration from real life events that marked the country, or in other cases, fictionalized events. Example: Breaking Bad. Ah, I was literally about to bring that up. Um, La Tortuga, when um, Machete was in that episode, like three episodes of Breaking Bad, it was so cool. Oh, what the fuck? What's his name? I forgot. You literally just said his name in the last episode. I forgot his name. But you know what I'm talking about. What? If you haven't seen Breaking Bad. Are you talking about Danny Trejo? Yeah, he was in like three episodes, and uh, I haven't seen yeah. Breaking Bad, but wow, I didn't you know you would love it. You would love it. Um, there's also one special episode where they open the episode with a narco corrido. Oh shit! Yeah, and I think it's a real band too, and they're all dressed up playing, singing about um, Heisenberg. That's the way cute. they say it. It was really cute. My dad loved that show because of how uh, tied into the cartel it was. <laughs> If not, he wouldn't have watched it. And also how dorky uh, Walter White is and how he has to, like, learn real quick how to be in the business. You would love it. I don't know why y'all haven't seen it. I've seen it, like, two or three times all the way through already. Oh, shit. I have tried. Or, well, not really. I think I should, though. I'm glad you have it. I'm jealous of you because whenever you first see it, you're going to be like, wow, dude. That was good. Yeah. (laughs) And... Guys, just to cut the the seriousness for a second, have you ever heard of the term purple person? No. Okay, well, apparently it's a personality trait. Whenever someone loves the color purple, their whole house seems to have purple in it. And um, one of the characters in that show is a purple person. And it was just so, it was just so perfect. I'm a purple person. 
she has like her whole kitchen purple like all of her appliances and everything like not appliances like not her fridge and stuff but like all her little uh, mixers and coffee makers and everything and I was like dang guess it is true that is weird I didn't do that thankfully (laughs) (laughs) it it goes with her personality but anyway it's a good show I'll have to look it up or I'll have to try it Mm -hmm. on Netflix I'm currently watching Gossip Girl so when I catch up I will start Breaking oh, the like, re- like the old Gossip Girl. No, 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 the new one. Oh, is it good? Do you like it? Uh, it's interesting. I they definitely went away that I didn't think they were going to go. But um, is it like modern generation? It type? definitely is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. It's what I started juicy. watching. If you don't have Peacock, I suggest you do get it because Doctor Death is on there about that guy in Texas who was maiming his patients for like years. Oh, the Doctor Death. Yeah, and the fact that Pacey, the actor that plays Pacey, is playing him is just killing me. If you've seen Dawson's Creek. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, but I like it so far. We got hooked really quick. That is anyway. funny. Okay, so some examples of mainstream narco cinema include Miss... Miss Bala? Miss Bala? Oh my goodness, yes, Miss Paula. Okay. El Infierno and Heli, I guess. Ellie? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Miss Bala uh, is a 2011 film directed by Gerardo Naranjo <laughs> hmm. okay. that premiered in Cannes and got attention from critics, becoming, or, and it became a box office success in Mexico. Have you seen it? No, I just know the actress from that other show. Okay. So it's based on real life events. It tells the story of a young woman dreaming of becoming a beauty pageant queen. Narcos manipulate her to work for them in exchange for her victory. Mm. Mm. And so cartels have been making use of the internet over the years, going from the outdated MySpace to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Here, they post videos that announce themselves as a new emerging power to be feared. One of the most visited websites to follow information about events related to narco violence is El Blog del Narco, (laughs) (laughs) which defines itself as neutral. Okay. Uh, Their only objective is to publish stories in a journalistic way. What draws the most attention are the confessional slash torture videos posted, which contain much graphic violence, providing torture to the prisoners before being executed in front of the camera. Yikes. Twitter is used to post threats to one another, and sometimes with the use of special technology, narcos can track their rivals in order to kill them. Damn. Damn. This can be detrimental as well because sometimes police find them in the same way. LOL. Yeah. Instagram can be used to show off their lifestyles, which includes new cars, expensive watches, designer clothes, fine liquor, exotic pets, and massive weaponry. Oh, yeah. Cartel TikTok. Oh, dude. I wish I would have fucking. I know. You sent me one and I cannot get it out of my head, dude. They're like, you can hear guns. It's just somebody in their backyard, like, 
being like, oh my God, what the hell? And they can hear guns like shooting back and forth. And then the cars like rush by and they're like black escalades. And then there's other ones where they're counting money and you can see the Coke like in the corner. Yes. And they're just putting the money through the machine and they're wearing nice ass shoes. But you don't ever see people like sometimes you do. I saw one specific specific video where they were not sure if it was real or not. You can never tell with these things, but it seemed like they were disposing of a body. And I was like, um, this is a little bit scary now. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. That is, they don't yeah, have them. They're not on there anymore though. Right. Since fucking, they get taken down. Like I'll like them. And so the algorithm will keep sending them my way, but then yeah, they get taken down. Oh, they're down still on there. Sometimes oh like within a few hours, they get taken down most of the time. Cause people obviously like report them. Yeah, Aye. that's fucking – but most of the time the accounts are, like, throwaway accounts, like – Yeah, it'll say, like, user 56789, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand mm-hmm. what the point of them doing that shit is, like – Right. Mm-mm, I'm scared. But, okay. Just to be like, we're still out here doing business. business yeah. Business as usual business over as here. usual. Shit. <laughs> Scary. Notable examples are El Chino Anthrax – I don't know how to fucking pronounce that in Spanish, so I'm just going to say anthrax. Okay. Um, and Claudia Ochoa Felix, supposed leader of Los Anthrax, which mm-hmm. are an enforcer gang of the Sinaloa cartel, both captured the attention of news outlets. Okay, the leader is El Chino. I don't know why it included her, mm-hmm. but... Um, both captured the attention of news outlets and blogs with photos on Twitter and Instagram that showed how they enjoy the sort of spoils that Mexicans relate with the lives of successful drug traffickers. Claudia posts pictures on social media as which she poses with expensive accessories like watches, purses, designer clothes, champagne bottles, cars, and planes. Also frequently poses with big guns. In a press release, she mentions how her life has changed after those pictures have circulated around the world, and she fears for her family's safety. She claims that all those pictures of her were modified because she is not the one appearing in them. She also claims that she has no association whatsoever with any of the drug cartels operating in Mexico. Of course. But that's the end of that. Damn. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That was good and very interesting. Yeah, um, I cannot. It's fucking nuts. I have. Oh fuck! Actually, did you watch the? Did we talk about this? The what? fucking documentary. I think it's on Netflix. Of, they just put it on Hulu. Are you talking about that one, the Narcoland one? No, not days that one. in Narcoland. No, oh, the that one just came out. Figueres del Norte, the in Folsom Prison. Oh, no. I haven't seen it. I watched Netflix? part of it. Mm. And it they just basically did what Johnny Cash did. He performed mm. there, too. And um, they just fucking played their music or whatever. But they started off with fucking a Johnny Cash song, which I thought was nice. A little tribute Aww. to him. But they interviewed people the prisoners in there and um of course i got fucking distracted and was like i wonder if they had to have like good behavior and shit so they could be able to be able to meet right so they're not dangerous and shit like yeah they're like "Hmm." like oh my god so remember when sean penn interviewed del chapo i do remember that it was a big old thing he was 
hot water because they were like, well, where is he? We're looking for him. He's on the run. Mm-hmm. What the fuck are you doing? And Sean Penn's like, I'm just being a journalist, man. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to snitch. That is fucking terrifying. I know. But it's like, would you rather be in and like be cool with them or would you rather like avoid them until they come for you because you're working, you know what I mean, like talking about them or making music about them? Right. A lot of guys that – or a lot of bands that have done the narco corridos get killed for – fucking making this music and shit yeah there was one that i fucking i'm i've heard his music before but i didn't know what the fuck his name was but um i didn't realize who it was until i watched that fucking jenny rivera show on netflix but his name was uh chalino sanchez Yes, when they handed him that note while he was performing. Oh, yeah, dude. That's fucking scary. And then he was killed. Yeah. He knew he was going to be killed. That is so scary. Mm-hmm. And then that other woman who's also a Mexican actress, and she made a public statement about uh, the cartels not being that bad or something, and so then everybody was mad at her. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the fuck you would say that shit for. No. She looked at it as like a Robin Hood situation, I think. Um, but anyway, yeah, very interesting how regular people can somehow be involved or make themselves become involved with the cartel without even realizing mm-hmm. the depth of it and the danger of it and everything. Um, Fawn. I can oh, hear her. She's Fawn. excited. She's huffing and puffing over here and snorting. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, guys, that concludes our 63rd episode of our cartel series and excellent very cool very you you hit all the right topics i think with this kind of thing just to kind of give us the gist and a little more in depth on specific cartels like the Signola. oh my god i still can't (laughs) i still can't i don't know what it is about that Signola. sinaloa sinaloa you did it sorry the sinaloa sinaloa Sinaloa. The Sinaloa cartel was our last episode. So that was more information on that specific branch of the cartel. So that was really interesting. Um, It's going to continue to evolve and change. And the more social media we get, I'm assuming the more they'll make themselves present. Or do you think as as they get older and die, this is eventually going to go away? Or no, you think it's too deep rooted in the culture? I think it's too deep. Well, you know what, though? I don't know how, what's the word? I don't know how disciplined these children of these, like the next generation is going to be. You know what I mean? Right. Like, are they going to be passing the torch to this generation? Yeah. These narco juniors who give a fuck only about the image more than the actual shit. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, we'll keep our eyes open and our ears peeled and all that. Or what is it? Eyes peeled, ears open. Because mm-hmm. it's definitely interesting. And the more, you know, the talk of like immigration and all of that and how that's the main issue. I don't think that's the main issue in Mexico. I hope it's, I don't know. I There's a lot of issues with that country where there are immigrants wanting to come to our our country. So it's like, I don't know. It gives it a bad, a bad rep. Like, are we letting in cartel members? Mm-hmm. if we were to open our our borders but it's like why would we not want to help people who are trying to escape those kinds of living situations yeah but sad. they would take advantage of that 
Absolutely. Oh yeah. It's, that's the scary part. No one wants to think of, think of that, but, uh, it is definitely a possibility. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you for joining us for this month's series on the cartels of Mexico. And we hope you enjoyed it. It was definitely a lot of information. Make sure you let us know if you liked this thing. If you if you prefer, you know, us taking a month every now and then and going go into uh, into detail with some of these topics, or if you just want us to keep going back and forth. Either way, we have a good time here on Gimme the Creeps. And we just, you know, want to know what you think. So thank you guys again for listening. So did we give you the creeps?